Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger, Greg Lance Watkins. What are we to make of the last two weeks? Should statues of prominent historical figures with controversial past stay or fall? Do stay with us. But first of all, how did all this begin? The video footage of the final moments of George Floyd's life is without doubt harrowing and distressing. The three police officers involved have been sacked and charged over his death. They'll be put before a judge where one would hope that in time they'll receive a fair trial and a suitable punishment. We should also point out that George Floyd was no saint. He had been to prison at least five times. He had been involved in drug abuse, theft, criminal trespassing, aggravated robbery, as well as entering a woman's home and pointing a gun at her stomach while looking for drugs and money. The woman was pregnant at the time. Even when he was arrested on this occasion, he had just bought cigarettes with a forged $20 bill and had taken fentanyl, a powerful opioid. The police officers involved will face a court judge and justice will take its course. But would you have fancied being the police officer who had to restrain and arrest this habitual criminal? I am in little doubt that the actions of the police were wrong, excessive, unprofessional, reckless, and possibly could be classed as manslaughter or murder. But how did we go from this to the widespread protests across Britain last weekend? For more than 10 weeks, we have all made sacrifices with the COVID-19 lockdown. In some cases, we've missed out on seeing our parents, grandchildren, boyfriend, girlfriend, catching up with friends in the pub, playing sport, and so on. But in some cases, it's been far more serious. People have sacrificed not holding the hands of loved ones in the final moments of their lives and didn't go to their funerals, all in the name of social distancing and obeying the rules. But now all that hard work has been undermined by people, those very people, who went on Black Lives Matter protests last weekend. How many of those people packed tightly into squares in towns and city centres up and down the country were just a few weeks ago clapping our carers at 8pm every Thursday night, banging their saucepans and cheering. Those actions meant nothing. If you were part of the Black Lives Matter protests, don't tell me you care about the NHS and respect the workers. You don't. Your actions, by ignoring social distancing, have made the work of NHS staff all the more difficult. You have massively increased the risk of a second wave of COVID-19 infections, as has been the case in Iran. And in turn, it means that the NHS staff will be at greater risk, all because of you and others like you. And what were these people protesting about anyway? How many of them could actually point to Minneapolis on a map? What are their aims? Come on, someone, somewhere, please, name me five things you're hoping to achieve from these protests. Or is this really all about you wanting to show the world how woke you are? Last summer, you painted rainbow flags on your face and danced in the street in solidarity with the so-called LGBTQ plus movement. Incidentally, I know homosexual people and even one transgender person who want nothing more to do with that movement because it has become so seedy and politicized. I gather such feelings are actually quite widespread among that community. Then, during the spring, 
you wanted to be seen proclaiming your love for the NHS at 8 p.m. every Thursday. Your words and actions meant nothing. And now you want to be seen taking a knee for the Black Lives Matter movement, all in name of boosting your woke and socially aware credentials. Come on, get a grip. Yes, Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, Yellow Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, all lives matter. What have your actions really achieved, apart from massively increasing the danger to public health and to NHF staff? Greg, you've been very patient. Your thoughts? Well, to comment Black Lives Matter is hypocrisy in the extreme when you think that nine out of every 10 crimes committed by blacks are committed against blacks, firstly. Secondly, this nausea about events that happened over 200 years ago. Cabo, Cecil Rhodes, etc. I saw an interview of two of the students or two of the individuals who were virtue signaling in Oxford and standing under the statue, saying that the statue must go. And the interviewer said, what can you tell us about Cecil Rhodes? And one of them did at least have the integrity to say, I don't actually know anything about him. <laughs> who yeah. was he? Mm. Absolutely mm. typical. We also had this same bunch of virtue signaling, hip hypocritical idiots parading regarding climate change with absolutely no knowledge of what they were talking about. Just a lot of hot air. They're causing trouble anywhere they can and it's got absolutely no connection with slavery, with Black Lives Matter. We don't, Black Lives Matter, of course they do. Why aren't they protesting at the South African Embassy, where in the last month, the South African Black Police have executed six individuals at least for breaking the curfews on COVID. Black lives matter, yet they shoot each other. Black lives matter, yet they abandon women they have impregnated. And most black children are brought up in Britain, are brought up by their mother without any influence or guidance from a male. Well, what we have now, we see in Britain, I think there is a divide in Britain among the black community. Now, if you look at archive footage from the 1950s, you see people arriving off Windrush, for example, and they've got a, a shirt and a tie on and a trilby hat. There is a divide in Britain, I think, between, for example, strong black Christian communities where they come from strong family units. They're very big on education. They're very well mannered. When I had a health scare 18 months ago, I was treated by uh, a doctor from the Caribbean and she was a very bright, intelligent woman, uh, very well integrated, a great sense of humor, had very good people skills. But then you've got another side to 
the black community in Britain, which is everything you've just highlighted there. And I want to pay tribute, if I can, to people like Trevor Phillips, who have, particularly in the years since he left the uh, Commission for Racial Equality, he has been absolutely forthright about the very point you just made. There is a significant section, I'm a, I'm a bit wary about using the word most, because I am aware that in society there are many, many thousands of black people living in Britain today who have integrated well, live in family units and have strong education and strong Christian values in many cases. But Trevor Phillips made the point that you have just made about the lack of fathers in homes and the lack of male role models and the idolization of um, criminals, put, putting um, pictures of criminals on sweatshirts and you know, making them out to be hero figures. There are significant problems, and I'm glad you've made that point. Now, I, I want to talk about, you, you mentioned how we relate to the distant past, and I'm very much of the view that we should always judge historical figures by the standards of the era in which they lived and not by the standards of today. Now, Edward Colston, he supported and endowed schools, hospitals, and churches, especially in Bristol and London, in an era when the state couldn't be bothered with such things. And look, I've got no great love of Edward Colston, don't get me wrong, but attitudes to slavery were very different in that era. Indeed, there were many African slave traders around the world as well. And the likes of Colston, Cecil Rhodes, Nelson, even Winston Churchill should be judged by the standards of the era in which they lived. And shame on those protesters for tearing down the Colston statue. And shame on the police for standing by and doing nothing. There was that interview with that police officer doing the rounds on social media saying, oh, we, we made a calculated decision here that, that it would be best to let them just get on with it. Now, in Bristol... Well, 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 yes. Now, in Bristol itself, which politically is a left-leaning city, there was a petition about the, um, the future of this, this, the statue in question some time ago. And Bristol is a city of more than half a million people, if you include the, the wider area immediately around it. Just 10,000 signed that petition. Now, I do think, actually, and you may take a different view on this, I do think there is a de debate to be had about whether that statue and others like it should be there or in a museum in this day and age. But that debate should be done through democratic and peaceful protests. And if it is to be removed, it should be removed by council workers. What we saw, I think, and this is what really concerns me, is mob rule overruling the rule of law. And, and also I should share, say about this, shame on certain politicians, including the former Plaid Cymru leader, Leanne Wood, who actively encouraged these protesters, there is, and also several on the Labour backbenches who did the same thing. I think these are very worrying times, and in terms of mob rule winning over democracy and the behaviour of the police, um, a dangerous precedent has been set. And then we move on to the earlier part of this week. In London, the Robert Milligan statue was removed. There was no public consultation there. It just happened. These, I think, are dangerous precedents. I think they're appalling. Um, we are talking here of history. These people acted with best endeavour at the time May I remind all these people of Black Lives Matter and the like, and may I remind them, as one who has travelled extensively and lived in Africa, there would have been no slave trade from Africa had the black 
indigenous population not been enslaving other tribes and selling them to Arab traders. There would, however, have been uh, the history of the slave trade on the north coast of Africa, where over a million whites were held as slaves, having been, in many instances, press-ganged from Britain. Yeah, we've got a lot to get through here, but you've made a very good basic point about the history of slavery being an unpleasant one and bad things were done on all sides. So I'm glad you've made that point. Here in Cardiff, where I live, the Thomas Picton statue in City Hall's being talked about now. Now, Cardiff remembers and commemorates Thomas Picton for his military service against the despot Bonaparte and for being the highest ranked British army officer who gave his life for his country at Waterloo. I wonder how many people who are bleating on about removing this statue are aware of any of this. But these things, they've got to work both ways, I suppose. Like in 2017, Manchester Council permitted the artist Phil Collins, no, not the singer, to erect a statue of Engels that had been torn down and dismantled by Ukrainians after their liberation from decades of communist oppression and genocide. Uh, Mancunians at the time protested about this, and um, those protests were dismissed. But now we've had this website launched called the Stop Trump Coalition Project, who are calling, uh, they put map on there of offensive statues, as they put it, of slave owners and colonialists that they say must be torn down, and in their words, so that Britain can finally face the truth about its past. And um, overlooking the absurd starting premise there, uh, the, the people being included in this, okay, Robert Milligan, that statue went uh, the other day. There's statues of Francis Drake, Horatio Nelson, King James II, a whole primary school named after William Beckford, a statue of Francis Galton, where the activists move on from concerns over slavery to include those who wrote about eugenics, uh, Lord Kitchener statue due, due to his role in the Boer Wars, Earl Grey's monument in Newcastle. Now, he, was, as prime minister, abolished slavery in the entire British Empire. Not good enough for them, they say. He compensated slave owners, so the monument must be destroyed, in their words. Now, I lived in Liverpool for three years, and my final year, that place where I was happiest, was just off um, Penny Lane. The famous Penny Lane is in the Beatles song, named after James Penny, a product of his time. At the top end of Penny Lane, you've got Gladstone Halls, University Halls of Residence. I didn't actually stay there myself. Um, Gladst now, William Gladstone's father was compensated when the slave trade ended. Apparently, that is enough for these people to want it renamed, and indeed it has been renamed. When I was at university between 2002 and 2005, we didn't bat an eyelid. This is madness, isn't it? Hmm. It's not madness. It's staggering dishonesty spurred on by criminal interest. I mentioned in discussion with you just now, The Guardian, which is fronting lots of this, a newspaper, well, propaganda sheet of the work and the left wing that hasn't made a profit for years. It is subsidized to make a point of view. By the Scott Trust, which itself is an offshore tax haven. Are you going to tell us about John Edward Taylor? Its founder, John Edward Taylor, founded it in 1821 and funded the founding based on his, the fortune he had built as a cotton 
trader and producer, living off the backs of the slave trade in the southern states of America. It gets worse than that, though, because after his death in 1844, the paper continued its relationship with the cotton merchant advertisers, going as far as demanding Manchester's cotton workers, who refused to touch cotton picked by the US slaves, should be forced back into work. So the Guardian's history is murky as well. But there, there's certain ironies that are, are not lost on me, but seem to be lost on the protesters. When um, George Floyd's funeral was taking place, the protesters in London stood around the statue of Nelson Mandela. Now, Nelson Mandela, in some ways I greatly admire him, in other ways I think he had a very mixed track record, by which I mean during his years as president in particular, his track record of arms dealing, his failure to get on top of the HIV problem and deal with that sufficiently, the cronyism of his role. And by the way, the one person who would agree with all this is Nelson Mandela himself. He never bought into the whole um, sainthood stuff, the persona that was put on him, and the ANC, um, particularly in the years when he was in prison, and his second wife, Winnie, who he eventually divorced, her track record was absolutely appalling at the ANC. But then also, where do you stop with this sort of mentality? Let's take Gandhi as an example. Uh, I live in Cardiff, about, I'm about a mile away from a statue of Gandhi that was only erected in uh, 2017. In 1903, when Gandhi was in South Africa, he wrote that white people there should be the predominating race, he said. And he also said that black people are troublesome, very dirty, and live like animals, his words. Now, he changed his tone in later life, but he was a controversial figure in many ways, not popular among the Sikh community. He had significant failings. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, look up his track record of anti-Semitism. Even Muhammad Ali, a man who's got several prominent statues around the world, pre-1977, when he was a member of the Nation of Islam, he said some terrible things about um, white people and about uh, black people who didn't dance to his tune, so to speak. Muhammad Ali, to his credit, only became a prominent anti-racist after he converted to mainstream Sunni Islam uh, from 1977 onwards. But what I'm getting at, Greg, is so many historic figures who are idolized, rightly or wrongly, have mixed pasts. And we have to put these things in the context of, of that. And I'm afraid that this mob mentality is very, very dangerous. And some dangerous precedents have been set over the course of the last week. Your final thoughts, please. Uh, when will the mob get honest and tear down every single mosque in the world? Muhammad owned slaves. Mm. Mm. Yeah, ex exactly, exactly. And this is, this is, these are inconvenient truths, aren't they? But I think we've covered a lot of ground in 20 minutes here. Um, the behavior of the protesters, the hypocrisy of the protesters, and this has been a very, very bad week for freedom, for law and order, for rational Mar debate. Greg, your Mar final word. Marcus, it's banal, crass, incompetent, dishonest, corrupt, and a staggering sign of total, complete lack of understanding of history and illiteracy to judge anything out of the context of its time. Slavery was a legal and honourable trade amongst blacks, amongst brown people, amongst the Chinese peoples, and amongst the whites. Slaves were bought, captured, bought, and sold. That was perfectly 
normal until Britain took the leading role in banning slavery worldwide, right down to the effect of making sure that that banning was adhered to in 1833 by spending 40% of our nation's budget on buying the liberty of every slave in the British Empire. That, as a point of interest, was done on a loan that finally Britain paid off in 2015. Well, that's a very powerful point to end on. And my thanks to Greg as always, and my thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time. <laughs>